Welcome to Downstage Center, a production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. We're really happy today to have with us Donna Murphy, who has a, a very uh, varied career between Broadway, movies, television as well. Donna Murphy currently starring on Broadway in Wonderful Town. She plays the sister Ruth Sherwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the older of the two sisters who come to New York from Ohio to make a living, to make their, their careers. Donna has two Tony Awards to her credit, Drama Desk and Drama League Awards as well, a Cable Ace Award and a Daytime Emmy. She won the first of her two Tony Awards for Best Actress in a Musical, along with the Drama Desk and Drama League Awards for playing the role of Fosca in Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine's Passion, then Tony and Drama League Awards as well as Drama Desk and Outer Circle nominations for The King and I, playing the role of Anna. Tell us now about Wonderful Town, the Aww. revival on Broadway, which is a show that uh, originated in 1953. That's right. And then in the year 2000, you were the star of that show at New York City Center, part of the Encore series. That's right. And that was the beginning of this journey, um, which has been uh, quite amazing and I think unusual in that... Um, when we did the production at City Center Encores, I hadn't done a, a theater project since The King and I in 96, 97, that season. And um, I had been doing primarily television and film. And um, it was, it had been a few years. It was really in 1999 that I started getting really nutsy and antsy to do something on stage again. But everything that I was being offered or, or asked to consider um was resonant of things I had already done um, or wasn't quite right timing-wise or the right combination of factors. But I found myself wanting to do something that was that had a sense of release to it, and I was definitely looking for a comedy. And at the time that the City Center production uh, came up, there were a couple of other plays that I'd been offered that were comedies, um, But when I heard the score and read the libretto to this, even though this was a limited run, I I knew right away that this is what I really wanted to do. And I um, asked my agent to just communicate that it was something I was super interested in. And it was a little scary because we do those productions at at City Center, the Encore series. You have uh, about seven or eight days um, to put it up. It's almost like the old days of stock. It it really is. It really is. And then there are only five performances. And then you only have five performances. So you're just starting to sort of get a sense of what the hell you're doing out there, (laughs) and it's gone. It's over. You know, but it was just enough of a taste, um, and the the response to it was so overwhelming, quite frankly. Um, It was the first time I had done a city center show. I'd seen many of them. Um, but I remember the invited dress during that that afternoon before the dress. I had called my agent and said, "I've made a very big mistake really? because <laughs> this is so this role is so much huger than it read on the page or it sounded on the recording. Uh-huh. It just I never stop, and I I just have so much work to do, and there's so many things I still want to do with it, and there's just not the time to work out all the details." And he said, "Honey, it's encores." You know, they will love everything that you can give them. And the audiences were amazing. And immediately there was a buzz about moving it. But you had other commitments that intervened. I mean, it was interesting because initially they didn't have a theater. 
And I, I've also been in situations before where there's a buzz about moving something and it doesn't happen, and you don't know how real it is. Um, so there were a few months, I mean, immediately after I had a TV film that I was shooting up in Canada, and I went off to do that, but there were millions of phone calls back and forth about this possibility. And um, and then it seemed to sort of fade away, and in the meantime, I was offered a television series uh, with Joan Cusack that, that James L. Brooks was doing, and it was shooting in Chicago. And I, we had to say, unless we know that we've got a theater and we're going, I need to work, and this is a great opportunity for me, and I don't have to go to L.A. to do it, <laughs> with all due respect to the West Coast. Um, and so I went off to do this television series, and I did that on and off for like a year, and then the second season we got canceled after a few episodes. And um, in the meantime, we had heard from the folks, the Wonderful Town contingent, that there was interest in possibly doing it that spring if I was interested, and I was. Uh, and then I had some personal things. I, I actually found out that I was pregnant and unfortunately miscarried and needed some time to sort of reassess how to proceed. I couldn't jump right back in. I needed to regroup myself on a, on a personal level. And um, and then it was up and down for a couple of years. And Was I it was, always the Weislers in here trying to bring it through, or was the, it even different producers at There different were different times? producers, although I think the Weislers were always a presence. But, you know, the first pe- the first when we first uh, did it at, at Encores, I remember hearing that Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward were like these cheerleaders who said, we're going to get this to Broadway. And we should point out that Paul uh, Newman and Joanne Woodward have been big, big supporters financially of the Encore series. They've yes. been big donors. I have actually seen them in the audience yes, in the theater. Yes, I think they're the on Encore the board. Joanne's yes, on the board. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Joanne came recently to see the show uh, on Broadway and... Um, she just was unbelievably enthusiastic, and I know is planning to come back and bring her grand grandkids or her grandson. Well, something else to just kind of interject: yeah. um, the current revival of Chicago came right. from the Encore series several years earlier. Exactly. And at the time that you appeared in Wonderful Town, Kathleen Marshall was the artistic director at City Center and directed and choreographed your production at City Center. That is right. So from that, that point. That is right. Now you've made the transition with Kathleen Marshall again yes. as the director and the choreographer of the current revival. And I think she expanded it beautifully, just enough. You know, we had many discussions about what elements uh, of the production that we did at City Center, which, you know, we call it a staged concert version, but it's really staged. I mm, mean, absolutely. there's a lot of choreography and very little script reading happening in those productions. And... Um, we the question of whether to leave the orchestra on stage um, was debated, and almost unanimously, everybody creatively involved felt that we really wanted to have it on stage because the music, the score of this piece, is such a vital character almost, um, and is so representative in a very uh, can't find the word um, palpable way of New York, the yeah. sounds of New York and the energy of New York. And, and Kathleen, who we had on this program several months ago, mm-hmm. explained that she mm-hmm. felt by putting the orchestra on stage, it gave the sense of co- uh, constant activity. New York never sleeps. There's always yes. something going on. Either you're watching the actors in the foreground or the orchestra in the rear, yeah. but there's always activity. And it also makes the downstage area where you must perform, which is probably a, 
only one-third of the available stage space because the orchestra takes up the rest, it makes it seem much more crowded, much like New York really is. Exactly. And the the apartment these ladies live in is supposed to be tiny and with low ceilings and that feeling of claustrophobia. And we did want to find a way to suggest that, which relatively had a sense of opening up when you went out into the city. And I think that John Lee Beatty, our designer, did that beautifully. Um, so, so you come back to the show, it's really about three years yeah. from when you did it. You said your prep time was minimal. Right. How do you get back into that? What did you go into it saying, all right, this is what I wasn't able to do? Mm-hmm. Did you do more research? Because uh, I'm noticing uh, there are these uh, th- quotes that you gave to the New York Times about movies that you went and looked at as you right. were trying to develop the character. Mm-hmm. Did did you you obviously had more freedom at that time to do well, that? Well, what was interesting is that I did choose to go up to Lincoln Center to the Performing Arts Library, there their archives there. Where And there was a tape, a videotape that was made of our performance at City Center. And I watched that. And I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of detail that somehow found its way into um, not just my performance, but other performances and the production itself. And I'm my own worst critic. Um, but I found that the show, it, it actually, it, it was the final thing that made me say, I really want to do the show again. Hmm. Um, at a time that I had to make some complicated personal decisions and uh, was trying to decide on between certain business opportunities. And I saw that tape, and I brought my husband with me, and you know, I, I was just bathed in tears by the end of it mm. because, uh, first of all, I thought there's such heart at the core of it, and it's truly joyful. You know, it, that, you, that word is used a lot. Oh, it's a feel-good piece. But this show really is that and I think really does that and um, but to get back to your question um, I did have the luxury of having more time so the first thing I did actually was get my hands on as much material of uh, Ruth McKenney's as I could Um, Ruth McKenney who wrote the short stories that my sister Eileen the play that wonderful town is based on the the those uh, my sister Eileen the play was based on these short stories that Ruth McKenney wrote about the adventures of her and her sister. That ran Ruth, in the New Yorker originally. Yes, it did. Yeah. It was serialized. They were sort of not, not really serialized, but they were uh, you know a, a series of stories. Right. And um, when they ran, they were roughly contemporary. She was writing it mostly yes. in the period when it was happened because exactly. we always think of Wonderful Town as a period piece. Right. It was which was back. the mid thirties, mid thirties, which is when they came to the city. And um, she was a very serious writer, a very political, sort of socio-political writer. Uh, and these were sort of fluff pieces that she wrote to make a living. Um, so I've read four or five of her books and, um, and of course, all the stories that related to the wonderful town years, uh, their New York years. And, um, you know, was able to find photographs of, of she and Eileen and... I did that work. Then there was the watching a lot of films of the period and films that stylistically I thought would help me, um, which was fascinating and great fun. You talked Mm -hmm. about, well, you talked about His Girl Friday, Ball of Fire, Funny Face. These are some of the ones that you mentioned. Yeah, some more obvious choices than others, you know. Uh, Some of them I just had an instinct about. And as I said, when I was asked to do that that piece, I was like, you know, I don't want to give away my secrets. (laughs) I don't want to talk about... And also, I don't want to mislead audiences because I don't watch a film to say, oh, 
that thing that Lucio Ball just did. I'm going to use that in a hundred easy ways. There's a great mm-hmm. moment. It's not a conscious thing. I try to take in as much as I can and sort of let it simmer. And then I don't, when I make my choices, they're not directly related, but of course they're influenced. And I'm trying to just increase my own sort of vocabulary and my own horizon. Um, and it makes me, it helps me in my imagination work to be able to create a world that I believe that I'm inhabiting. Inhabiting? Inhibiting? Inhabiting. inhabiting. <laughs> no, inhibiting is entirely different. It can different. be inhibited, but <laughs> that I'm inhabiting. Um so that's part of the, the well, research process. For, for those who have not seen you in the show, I've seen you twice now. Uh-huh. I've actually seen the show four times. Wow. Once when I was in college, when the college did it. Uh-huh. Once at uh, City Center Encore. I uh-huh. saw you there. And then again twice in the current run. Oh, wow. You are a wonderful comedian. Thank you. Are there any comedians that you have basically studied or admired over, over your life who have, you feel yeah. maybe have had an influence on you? Well, again, not not with an eye towards... I have to study that, and how does she do that? How does she craft that? But I would say Lucille Ball. You know, I mm-hmm. I watched. Her, I love Lucy as a kid. Carol um, Burnett. Carol Burnett. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Streisand. Hmm. I was, uh, you know, slightly obsessed with Barbara Streisand. Hmm. Yeah, as, the the as uh, bit that you do toward the beginning of the show with the sofa bed that refuses to open, and you right. stand up on it with your butt up in the air to the right. audience and wiggle it a little bit. Right. It's pure bravery. I said to Kathleen Marshall when she was on this program, yeah. um, how did you get your star of the show to do that? She said, well, it was really her idea. She's fearless. Yeah. She does these these things because she's just over the top. I mean, the thing is, most of those things come out of an instinct that I have. When we uh-huh. rehearsed, we didn't have a pull-out couch. Uh-huh. We had a, some plywood, you know, it was a couch that had some plywood base, and I would mind pulling it out. Mm-hmm. Well, that took no effort. And then we got the real couch, and it took a certain <laughs> amount of effort. And I and I thought this woman's never pulled out it. You know, the truth is that historically, I don't think they had those kind of couches. <laughs> we we took a little license there. Um, and I thought I don't think this woman has ever pulled out it. I don't think she's ever seen one of these things. Mm-hmm. And just the woman that I had started to develop as a woman who sort of dives in. Okay, this thing I, I'm going to master it. Damn it, whatever the hell I, I'm going to wrestle with it. And I remember. You know, I went to pull it, and it didn't come right up. And so I put one foot up, and then mm-hmm. I put the other foot up. It wasn't like I thought, oh, it'll be funny if they see my butt shaking. <laughs> but once I did it, and once I did it with an audience and I got a response, I'm sure that it, it encouraged me oh, to yeah. <laughs> let it grow. Let it well, flower. It's a very, very funny scene. Very John's, funny bit. John asked about, about the comedian influences. It's funny. when Again, we keep referencing when Kathleen was here. But yeah. Kathleen made a comment. You received um, the Astaire Award from Theater Development Fund uh, for Outstanding Female Dancer of the Year here in New York. Um, And Kathleen commented that Donna was particularly struck by that because she doesn't think of herself as a dancer. And then I found another interview here where you refer to yourself as an actress who sings. How do you perceive you're this musical comedy star right yet you call yourself an actress who it sounds like who happens to sing right. and don't think of yourself as a dancer well you know when i was a kid very very young um my mom says that i was three years old when i asked her for, for voice lessons and thank god she couldn't find anyone who would take <laughs> me on um I did start taking accordion lessons when I was four. 
she took me to, I also said I wanted dancing lessons, and I actually told the story when I received the Astaire Award. Um, she took me to this little, we lived out on Hopog, Long Island, which was not very developed at that time, and she took me to this little, it was called the Town Hall, but it was really on Veterans Memorial Highway, mm-hmm. and it was a class where the next sort of, uh, the closest child in age was about four years older than me. And I just thought, it's a dance class. It's a place that I get to go and dance. And I really was not into the fact that there was this very stressed out young woman who was trying to get us to stand still and put our hands in feet. You weren't thinking about dancing in unison. You no. just wanted to... it was, wow, it's a place where I get to go and just go crazy and dance because I love to dance. And apparently that's what I did. I just like was flying around the room and all these... And I do remember my mother... <laughs> My mother didn't buy me ballet slippers. I had these, like, stretchy socks that had, like, a black pom-pom on. And so I always said that I was doomed, you know, from the beginning to not be one of the crowd. But after the second class, the teacher very politely but sternly pulled my mother aside and said, you know, please don't bring her back. She's, <laughs> I don't think she's mature enough, and she seems to be in her own little world. And, and this is a Broadway career made. You know, <laughs> and I remember my mother said that I cried for about 30 seconds, and then I put my hands on my hips, and I said, that's okay. I can dance anyway. Hmm. And that's sort of what I guess I've been doing because all through high school, there were girls who took dance class, and then when we would do pro- projects at school, I always wanted to be physical, and I did sort of dance, but it didn't have technique, and yet I was often recognized as somebody who danced well, but I knew that I wasn't really a dancer. And when I came to the city, I was studying to be a serious actress. I studied with Stella Adler. I wasn't taking any music classes. I asked for voice lessons at three, and I think I started them at 33. (laughs) But I'd always sung. And all through high school, I'd done chorus and and sung an all-state chorus and all-New England chorus. And I was a first soprano. But I recognized that I had a rangy and versatile voice, but it wasn't the best voice. And I was a little obsessed with being the best. And I remember recognizing, wow, there's a lot of amazing instruments, operatic instruments. And like my parents thought, are you going to be a voice major? And I said, no, you know, I, I think I'm more of an actress than a singer. And so there was just this sensibility that my way in was as an actress. I could do these other things, and I loved doing these other things. But what I wanted to, to develop initially the craft of was acting because I love the idea of exploring different characters, obviously always through me, and that I could do these other things made musical theater a natural place for me to do most of my work. But I never thought that that was the only place I would do my work, although, honestly, most of my fantasies and my dreams were about being on a Broadway stage in a musical. Well, from that little three-year-old in Hop Hog, Long Island, yeah. did you always want to be a performer? Was there ever any consideration of doing anything else besides perform? Well, a teacher mo- or whatever? Um, when I was very young, my mother actually has a report card from second grade. The, the final comment was, Donna has informed us that she intends to be a singer and a brain surgeon. <laughs> and a brain surgeon. <laughs> my father was really holding out for the medical direction, but... Um, and when I, before I came to the city to study, I had this sort of, uh, 
I think part of it was a defense mechanism, and part of it was just a part of my personality that is very practical and pragmatic. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give myself five years once I finish studying. And if I'm not making a living as a performer, then I will figure out something else to do. And some of those things in my mind, uh, it was everything from teaching to drama therapy. I actually took a couple of courses, and I worked with children and elderly people when I was struggling to find work as an actress, Mm -hmm. as a sort of assistant to a drama therapist. Um, There was a point where I stepped away from the business uh, around 1991 because I really was questioning whether it was what I wanted to do anymore. Mm. And I was thinking about going to law school. Um, I'd been involved in just some business involving my co-op a building that was converting, and I was watching these lawyers and listening to them and thinking, dear God, I could do so much better than that. I'd like to understand this world. And so that was a thought, but I really was only away for about 10 months from the business. And during that time, I actually remember seeing there was a guy named David James Carroll, I don't know if you remember He's him. In Chess. Grand, yeah, and Grand Hotel. Grand Hotel. Yep. Beautiful singer, beautiful actor who passed away from AIDS, sadly. And shortly before he passed away, he did a concert at the Y, 92nd Street Y. And he could barely stand up, and he had chairs placed all over the stage so that he could sit down when he needed to. And he sang one killer showstopper after another. And I was sitting way up, and this was during this period when I wasn't performing. I was stepping away and sort of reassessing. And I was so moved by what he did and by the fact that his resources were limited physically, but he was going to use every ounce of what he had to communicate. And I thought, you know, I have been blessed in certain ways with the facility to communicate and in this way, and I don't want to waste it anymore. I, I've I've stepped away, and I I just I'll be careful about the things I choose to do, and I'll make sure I really can have a, a sense of commitment to them. But well, it's what I want to. It's what the I'm legal here to profession's do. loss has been the theater's gain. <laughs> I dare say. Thank you. <laughs> Certainly, every night at the uh, the Abe Hirschfeld Theater when you're performing in Wonderful Town. Oh, I'd like to play a song from Wonderful uh-huh. Town. Okay. Would you like to pick one? I have my personal favorite, but do you? Let's um, see if we agree on this. Well, I love so many of the songs that I get to do, but there is this moment where it's me in a spotlight with the most amazing lyrics, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a great um, setup for the character, and that's A Hundred Easy Ways to Lose a Man. It's a wonderful song. That is my favorite, so we're mm-hmm. on blend. the same wavelength. One Hundred okay. Easy Ways to Lose a Man. <laughs> On XM28 on Broadway, chatting with Donna Murphy, who currently stars as Ruth Sherwood in Wonderful Town. Donna, that song, 100 Easy Ways to Lose a Man, have you listened to the Rosalind Russell version of that? Yes. There is a lyric in there that's always confused me, and the lyric has changed. One of the lines is, now, in the song, where it's the the baseball game. Right. And she stops and she says, now, this is Rosalind Russell. Right. There's one out, two men on base. Like the third game of the whatever there was World Series, he's going right. to hit into a triple play. But are you crazy that I hit into a triple play? Right. She said, "There's one out, and now you got to have a triple play. That makes four outs. You cannot possibly have four she outs." She says, in the "One out." It's one out, 
Rosalind Russell says one out, then hit into a triple play. I listened to your CD the other night after I came yeah. home from seeing the show. You on stage perform it with no outs, and on the CD, no outs. Somewhere along the way, something changed. <laughs> You've never noticed that. Well, I've only <laughs> listened to Roz's recording once because uh-huh. I found she was so definitive that it was intimidating to focus any more on it. And I had to find my own, you know, uh, path you and interpretation. Um, and it's it's funny about these things because, you know, I learned the song with both the uh, the score and the lyrics set to the score and also the libretto. And occasionally we would find a discrepancy. And there were a couple in that song. I don't remember. <laughs> well, obviously, that. some baseball fans. Somebody's paying said, attention, man. I'm, I'm not a baseball fan. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> wait. Does mine it. make sense? Yes. Is the way I'm doing Yours it make sense? perfectly. Okay. No ad, you can hit it in a triple play. With well, one ad, you can't. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Also, your character voice is so different than your real speaking voice. Uh-huh. You were born in Queens. You grew up on Long Island. Yeah. How do you become the girl from Ohio who moves to New York with that accent, there, your whole demeanor? It's so different than you as a person sitting here. Well, I talk like this when I lived out on Long Island. Long and Island. Then, Long Island. I can say it. I'm, as a fellow Long right. Islander, I can say that. And <laughs> then I moved up to Topsfield, Massachusetts when I was 12. And my sisters and brothers, I'm the oldest of seven, um, most of them, they call me Donna Murphy, <laughs> and there's there's a it's not a Boston it's there are variations on that Massachusetts accent. But so, so you've got the Long Island mine, accent and the Boston accent. Sort of, they cancel merging. each other out. You uh, know, there was the word uh, that is spelled F O R K. Fork. Okay, F-A-W-K. which I, I I moved up there saying fork. Yep. And my sisters and brothers and the kids that I met in junior high there said fork, right? Which got big laughs at the table sometimes, sure. you know, because how it could be misinterpreted. <laughs> and it's so I was helped along by those accents somewhat neutralizing one another. And then, of course, when I went to school and I studied voice and diction. Um, the, uh, the gal from Ohio thing, that evolved too because I don't think I was doing quite as much of the, the Midwest flat sound, for instance, at encores. Mm-hmm. There was a suggestion of it. I didn't know how far I wanted to go because... I also had somebody who was playing my sister. We wanted to seem like sisters, but I also thought, well, she's studying to be an actress. So, in fact, both of the McKenney sisters took elocution letters, uh, letters, lessons uh, that's in those stories. But um, I just decided that she was a gal who would kind of just talk the way she talked. It would be grammatically correct, but having that regionalism um, just felt right and uh, and seems to help some of the comedy along as well. Now, to segue a bit from Wonderful Town, uh, obviously you have several other major Broadway roles. I was was surprised when when preparing for this Mm -hmm. that you've done a total of six Broadway shows. It's not that many. It's, It's fascinating that someone becomes... A major Broadway star, yeah. because you've played roles that have been so indelible, and you've been recognized so strongly. And certainly, one of those roles was Fosca in yes. Passion. Yeah, I want to read you something that you mm. said around the time, and I'll put you on the spot, and you can pass right over if you choose to. <laughs> um, in talking about creating your character at the time, you gave an interview in which you said, "Somehow, I connected and identified with something in my life that I choose not to talk about." I'm sure everyone thinks I had some obsessive love affair, but it's not that. Years from now, I'll reveal what it is, maybe when I'm playing some wacky tap dancing gal. 
So I'm just curious. How did you connect with that that role? Well, I'll still be somewhat vague just because I I had to to. try. Yeah. It was just too easy. There was a time when I experienced an illness in my life. It wasn't life-threatening, but it was, it threatened sort of the way I lived my life. And, um, and for that, for a period of that time, I felt like it defined me. And, um, so, and it was, uh, something that was definitely, um, aggravated by stress and if not stress wasn't responsible for it but it was something that was aggravated by stress and I remember you know thinking when I first sort of was introduced to the character of Fosca um, I didn't judge her the way that I think other people did you know People were quick to call her a was she she a hypochondriac? You know, in addition to being an obsessive personality, Um, self pitying. uh, There were many elements of her persona that were unusual and distinctive. But for me, the sort of emotional hook was a vulnerability um, of somebody who was ill and who felt like that illness was sort of bigger than any other element of their personality and and in some way um, obliterated other elements of who they were even and for me it was just for a brief period of time that sounds very dramatic but it was it was a hook into her for me um, the other thing was just that I think everyone is aware of the parts of themselves that, or I shouldn't say everyone, an awful lot of people that I know, and and I certainly feel, I'm aware of the parts of myself that have not been perceived as attractive. Physical things, but also parts of my personality. And um, so this woman's unattractiveness that people mocked, that Within the within the show, characters in the show mocked or didn't respond to or were dismissive about her because of, was something that I was sensitive to, and um, you know some people kind of questioned that in me. And I remember when we were doing the workshop, I, I think this person thought they were giving me a compliment, but they said, you know, you're how are you going to pull this off? You're too attractive. And I remember it was very upsetting to me because I thought. You know, if you don't already believe that I'm capable of doing this, then I'm not doing my job well enough. And I don't think it's about how many moles I put on my face or, you know, um, how bushy my eyebrows are, although we did make those choices. Um, it's it's about how this woman sees herself and she what she feels like. And I always had this image of her sort of rotting from the inside out. Yet at the same time, and it's it's a word that you used earlier in talking mm-hmm. about doing Wonderful Town, um, the same interview, which I should credit, comes from the Sondheim Review. Uh-huh. It was an interview you did, uh, I believe, it was with Wayman Wong a number of years ago. Yes. Um, Sondheim said, uh, you said the best advice he gave you was, he told me never to lose sight of the joy of it. And you referenced joy before, so I want to come very quickly back yes. from, from, from the darkness of that character. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you when he said that to me. It was during previews, and the preview process for Passion 
was fraught with um, uh, trying to figure out how much of the audience response to allow to weigh in in our choices, and I say our, meaning Steve and James and their writing choices and my choices as an actress in terms of the performance of the character, because some people had very strong and very very negative response to her. So how how much do we soften her and still stay true to what the story is, not compromise her too much? And um, there were nights that, and they were not that many nights, but boy, they those are the ones that stand out, that we would have responses in the audience, and there was one night that, that were letting us know how much they disliked her. And one night, uh, this character, Fosca, had these seizures. And I had a seizure at the end of a scene that I had sort of stalked my leading man, Giorgio, out into this sort of moor-like setting. And um, this storm sort of settles in, and I start to leave, and I have a seizure. And I go collapsed down onto the ground and about three people (laughs) applauded and I remember thinking oh my god I just want the the floor of the stage to open up and take me down I was so it was humiliating and I took it very personally as in again they're not understanding I'm not getting it I'm not communicating across the footlights to them what what's needy in her in a way that is moving them except to laugh or to mock her. Now, again, there were probably 1,100 people in the house. Three people out of 1,100. But that's what I heard. It's not like the other, whatever, 10,097, <laughs> or rather 1,097, you know, said, hey, we, you know, leave her alone. Um, but that night, I just remember I was leaving the stage and I must have been looking particularly morose or sad or something. And and Steve was stage left, off stage, and he said, are you having fun? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know, Steve, I'm I'm working really hard, and it's really gratifying work, and, and I'm learning so much. He said, are you having any fun? And I said, um, um, he said, do you know how rare it is to have a marriage of a part and an actor and something that feels as meaningful as I had spoken to him about this this part and this whole experience was just like such a gift to me. He said, "Don't you can't miss the joy in it. It's just a waste if you don't allow yourself the joy of it. And the thing is, if somebody who I thought of as a kind of, oh, lighthearted, happy-go-lucky person, you know, said to me, lighten up, Murph. And believe me, I've had people do that. It would have been one experience. But having somebody with the kind of uh, gravity that um, that's Mr. Sondheim has and uh, a seriousness that he has about his work, I could hear it from him in a way. It spoke to me. Uh, and resonated in a way that it would have never had it come from someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I do 
have to remind myself of that even when I'm doing something that is inherently joyful because it's hard, hard work. And like I had a knee injury and so my, my knee has been giving me some trouble and it's doing much better. But, you know, I'd be walking up the stairs in a lot of pain or just, you know, tired physically or vocally and it's it's hard, hard work. When I'm out there and I'm singing and dancing, I'm on top of the world and I know what I'm giving or trying to give to the audience and the people that I see at the stage door afterwards and the letters I get, I, I know that there, at least for some people it's it's delivering something that is good in their life. But there are times that I'm really tired and I'm really stressed and I have to say, hey, hey, remember what Steve said to you? Don't let go of that. Don't ever forget that. Wow. I don't know how to follow that with a song now. <laughs> but, but we should, but we and should. hear a bit from Passion. From Passion, sure. yeah. Sure. Why don't we um, pick another song? Maybe um, I Wish I Could Forget You, which is a beautiful oh, that's a, that song. That is a beautiful, beautiful performance. song. Can you set that up for us, how it played yes, in the show? Yes. Um, oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> um, Fosca, this this woman who lives with her cousin, who is an, a colonel in the army on this remote post in Italy, 19th century Italy, um, has become taken and somewhat obsessed with this new young captain who has arrived. And has be- he's become aware of her and aware of her illness and has heard she like has these sort of uncontrollable seizures. And we hear her off stage initially with these screams that sort of freak him out, but he learns that she loves to read. And he sends these books up to her as a gift. And they are, ext- I've actually read the books that he sent, I, that he sent up to her. And they were these incredibly romantic novels. And romantic novels that had love triangles. And you can see that in her very sort of fe- fevered and furtive mind. <laughs> um, it just planted these seeds. And anyway, she starts to fall in love with him. And they have, interesting conversations. He's a beautiful man, but he's also a very interesting man of the mind. And uh, she gets very ill, or more ill, I should say, at a point, and she's completely bedridden for a period of time. And she asks him to come and visit her in her room. And she's in her bed, and she asks him to write a letter. But the letter that she asks him to write is a letter that she's basically composing for him, a, lo- a love letter to her that he she's dictating to him, but asking him to sign his name to. And that is this song. On XM28 on Broadway, John von Susten with Howard Sherman from the Theater Wing and Donna Murphy. Donna... Musical theater has its obsessive fans, mm-hmm. and you I'm sure you hear from them. You talked about people who write, people who wait at the stage mm-hmm. door. Moving totally out of the realm of musical comedy for a moment, you've also worked in another field which tends to have its obsessive fans, namely your appearance in Spider-Man 2 and that you were in one of the Star Trek films. Yes, right. Does right. that bring you a whole different world of people coming to see you, and do those people continue to come to see you even though it's it's coming out of those films and then you're 
they're coming to see you in musicals. Yeah, happily, yes. It 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 does bring another sort of uh, realm of of audience members um, to the musical theater, which I don't know that they would have otherwise chosen to do. Um, it's always kind of funny when I come out of the stage door and often people will have a photograph of Patrick Stewart and I from the well, Star Trek movie that I did. If you've had an affair with Captain Picard, <laughs> you know, that's very meaningful in certain people's lives. Yes, Captain Picard's main squeeze. Um, and then this Spider-Man film, of course, the funny thing about that is that I play the wife of uh, the villain in the piece, Doc Ock, Dr. Octopus, who is portrayed by Alfred Molina, and Fred, as he likes Who's to be working called, down the street. is working down the block, playing Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. So, And then you've got Greg Edelman's in the film yes. as a doctor. Yes. And J.K. Simmons, who's... I mean, exactly. there are all these musical pe- people, certainly stage people yeah. and musical people. And Greg Edelman, of course, is the male lead in your show. Yes, he plays time. Bob Baker. Yeah. Right. And J.K. Simmons, who I know as Kim Simmons, years ago we did a show called Birds of Paradise, which was a musical sort of based on Chekhov's The Seagull. That Winnie Holtzman, who just won many awards for uh, her book for Wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of great people, and Barbara Walsh was in that. Yes. And Todd Graff, who is now mostly, primarily a screenwriter. Mary Beth Peel uh, was a great cast. Krista Moore. Now, except for that tape up at, uh, was it Lincoln Center Library you went to to see yes. yourself in encores? Yeah. You don't really see yourself in Broadway shows, but you do see no. yourself in movies and on television. Yeah. What do you think when you sit there or, or with, with your husband, Sean Elliott, and you watch right. yourself in a movie or on TV? What's well, your reaction? Well, you know, usually what happens is the first time I get a glimpse of it is when I go in to do looping, which is when you go in and sort of redub some of your, your speaking, usually for sound quality reasons. And... Um, it's always shocking and disappointing <laughs> because I tend to think when I'm when I'm doing the work that it's not me, you know. And then when I see it for the first time, I tend to see focus on what I don't like about it initially. And then I get past it and so by the time I see the whole film, I'm a little more relaxed about it. Um I am able to watch it, but I'm not one of those people who could watch it over and over again <laughs> once is usually enough. Sometimes when I've had to like edit together a reel of my work and I've had to watch something over and over, it just, you know, it's torture. <laughs> but it's interesting to see every once in a while, I think that the most, the moments that give me the most pleasure are when I do for a moment see something that surprises me. In what I'm doing, mm-hmm. which means that I've I've did my work, you know. Let's talk for a second about Donna Murphy, the person, not the actress. Mm-hmm. When you're not working, you're not performing, what do you like to do? You spare time with your family, whatever. Well, spend time with my family. Uh-huh. Um, as I said, I'm the oldest of seven. Um, they're mostly up in the Boston area. I have lots of nieces and nephews. I'm going up in August to uh, baptize my new little godson. Uh-huh. Um, I have two beautiful stepdaughters. And um, so one of them is in California, one of them's here in New York. So I try to spend as much time with them and with my husband. I love to read. I mean, I just, since I was a little girl, I read. Fiction, nonfiction. Everything, really. Although the truth is that so much of my reading ends up related to research Mm. that it's, 
it's quite a, a luxury to be able to just read something that I'm truly reading for pleasure. Well, being in a nice long run has got to help. You're not <laughs> Although that's true, but you know what? The only time I really have to read is before I go to bed. And if it's anything that's too provocative, it doesn't put me to sleep. <laughs> so I tend to read sort of spiritually oriented or philosophical um, materials or uh, biographies that are just a little bit boring. <laughs> 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 So I won't mention the titles well, and insult after the writers. Being the books or the people? <laughs> or both. Either, I guess. Uh, and, well, the writing, I guess. After being so up all night performing, it must be hard to come down off that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm tired, so, you know, I tend to go home, have a bite to eat. These days, ice my knees mm-hmm. and um, usually deal with a little email business and uh, go to bed and, and read a little bit. I love to horseback ride, oh. though I don't get to do enough of that, and I don't do it while I'm doing the show because I wouldn't put myself at risk. Um, It certainly wouldn't help the knee probably. No, no, not these days. And I love to travel and I haven't done all that much of that but I hope to do more of that. I wanted to ask um, you were on the cover of Time Out a couple of months ago in this article about Broadway divas. (laughs) And as somebody who has this extensive career on Broadway, off-Broadway, theater, film, television, there is this, this psych, not this psychology, there is this um, idea of now what makes a diva. Mm. Is that a pejorative? Is that, what does that become? And what does that mean when you get called something like that? Is mm. it is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just well, something that's out there now? I guess it depends on the context in which it's said. Um I, I I try to consider it a compliment, um, and you know what? I, I know my truth, and I know that I'm about the work, you know. And I have been referred to as difficult uh, because I work really hard to try to find the truth in a moment, and even in a wacky musical comedy. I believe that's part of my job. Yes, you exaggerate things and you take certain liberties, but if there's not a core of truth there, I know that as an audience member, I don't want to watch it. I don't believe it. So sometimes other people are ready to say, you know what, it's good enough, and I'm still saying, you know, I still think we can find something. And so there are certain kinds of people who kind of roll their eyes and go, you know, enough. Um... And I have been insistent in certain situations on, you know, guys, let's really make sure that we have found an answer here that we're going to be happy with for a long time. We're not going to say, you know, in three months, oh, God, we should have explored this more. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of controversy this year about the fact that I was sick during the course of King uh, King and I. Hello. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about King and I. Uh, wonderful town. And um, it was one of the most heartbreaking experiences I've, I've ever had in my life um, because I genuinely got ill during the beginning mm-hmm. of the run. And then I got a couple of sinus infections that just wiped me out. And it just was a show that I couldn't do uh not well. I, and the truth is that I did it sick a number of times, but, and there are some, you know, writers out there uh, who make a living, let's face it, as gossip columnists, and that's their job, you know, and 
But I had never experienced anything like that. And I allowed myself to take it personally for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I felt so, first of all, responsible in terms of my company and the show. And then as we were approaching award season, um, and one person in particular, you know, really was harping on, you know, my absences and stuff, it it just sort of, it, it sort of gave a tone like I was making a choice to not mm. be there or making a choice. I mean, I was making a choice to not attend. Uh, there was an award ceremony that, that I didn't attend because I was ill and I was trying to get well enough to get back into the show. But so there was an inference that I was a certain kind of diva, but who didn't, you know, cared about herself and didn't care about the work or the show. And the irony was that it, all I was doing was being at home in bed trying to get well so that I could be back as strongly as possible. Nobody was more upset yeah. than I was. It's an awfully loaded word, and I, I only bring yeah. it up because it seems it seems to me at times to be used unfairly and yeah. at times just kind of interchangeably with star. Right. But it does have all those different meanings. And right. obviously in, in some of what we've talked about today, yeah. you know, the, the, the word for you is, is actress. Thank you. And on that Thanks. high note, now that you've cleared <laughs> that up, that's been bugging Howard all day. <laughs> he wanted to clear that up. Donna Murphy, thank you so much for oh, joining so us today welcome. on Downstage Center. And lots of good luck with Wonderful Town. It's a thank great you. show. Thank you. And you are terrific in that role. My pleasure. Thank you. For Downstage Center, I'm John von Susten. I'm Howard Sherman of the American Theater Wing. Please join us again next time. Thank you. <laughs>